0: Welcome, welcome, happy Hunger Games, and may the odds be ever in your favour. Now, before we begin, we have a very special film, brought to you all the way from the capital.
1: Welcome back, pop culture theologians. You've made it to the end of our Hunger Games rewatch. That means that you are a victor, and we are so glad you're joining Marcy and myself today to talk about everyone's somewhat favorite movies, Mockingjay Part 1 and Mockingjay Part 2. Um, We want to give a quick shout-out to the Engaged Gays for hosting us, um, and make sure you're following all of our antics on Twitter. You can follow the show at Pop Theologians. You can follow me at J 85 and Marcy, my main girl, down there in Miami. Where can we follow you?
0: You can follow me at I Am The Men Who Can on Twitter and Insta and my Facebook is only for family.
1: <laughs> That's right.
0: <laughs> learn to hate each other more and more each day.
1: No racist ants allowed.
0: Lord, I know, right?
1: <laughs> Lord, give me the strength. Okay, Marcy. How are you doing? I'm doing good. You know who isn't doing good?
0: Tell me about it.
1: President Trump. What the fuck happened this week, Marcy?
0: There's a lot that's happened this week. Um, I'm like, so I, I like debated on how to do these three this week because we have everything from extremely light to extremely dark. Um, so. Let's actually, instead of, before we hit uh, Trump, let's start off with the highlight of my week. RuPaul's Drag Race is back. All stars. Uh. And I like, I live for this mostly because it is like brain food for my tired soul.
1: Also, I cannot wait for dissertations to actually be written about this show.
0: Me? Okay. If we could go back in time. Uh, not that I don't love my topic because I do. I pick The Handmaid's Tale way before the show got picked up. So um, I, I mean, it's kind of cool to write as as stuff is developing, but I would write on RuPaul's Drag Race forever. Uh, now, yeah. Who's your favorite drag queen?
1: Uh, Bianca, always.
0: Bianca Del Rio?
1: Yeah, Bianca Del Rio, always. I mean, I, I have little flirtations here and there with other ones, but at the end of the day, I go back to my main girl, and that's Bianca.
0: Your main squeeze.
1: My main squeeze. You're
0: Latrice Royale?
1: Oh, so I'm
0: good RuPaul's Drag Race all-stars right now and I'm extremely excited because it's interesting to watch a pro at work and then to watch some of the other queens and be like you guys have no idea like that's what putting work into this art form looks like
1: Valentina oh I'm sorry did I say that out loud what did I say Valentina? you go
0: after Valentina
1: <laughs> I don't go after her like the, the like the people on like the Twitters do like you know because they're like some people say some really vicious <laughs> shit but like girl what you doing with those eyebrows
0: that's so funny i love valentina for people listening who don't watch rupaul's drag race what are you doing with your lives honestly what
1: are you doing with your lives
0: even if you have never encountered the world of drag let's just say you're like i have no idea what these two like liberal elites are talking about like what the fuck honestly rupaul's drag race brings me joy every week every week Think of it as America's Next Top Model mixed with like enough sass and and like a comedy that like you come out like a better person after watching it um so but yeah Latrice Royale um, and I also am a big fan of Adore Delano our hood rat girl from Azusa for those from California uh, that is still one of my favorite lines ever in RuPaul's Drag Race. So yes, RuPaul's Drag Race season four is back. For people who are like, do I need to have watched every other season to watch All-Stars? Absolutely not. Like jump on board. It's on VH1. Join a fantasy RuPaul League. Um, like do it. It is It is such a great thing. So.
1: I think Jinx Monsoon is probably my second favorite.
0: Oh, interesting. Uh, Brent, my husband, his favorite is Gia Gunn. So he's uh, also Love Gia. I have Gia back this season. Um, yeah. And then, uh, my, my cousin who is definitely not listening to this cause he hates reading, uh, is a huge Katya fan. And if you look on my Instagram, there's a video yes. of Katya telling me to sit on a dick. So that was one of the highlights of my life. Uh, All right. So okay. moving forward, uh, now we can talk about Trump. So there's been some chief of staff drama going on. John, did you turn down this job this week too?
1: Um, I did. Um, I have marked myself safe from the chief of staff job. Um, I, you know what? I'm all for these people getting this job because they usually are probably going to end up in prison. So Jared Kushner, sign right up. Newt Gingrich, sign right up. You're all a bunch of assholes, so just take the job. Um, Nick Mulvaney or whatever that little racist elf's name is, like, take the job. I hope you go to prison. I hope you all go to prison Next.
0: Yeah, uh, yeah. Like honestly, I don't understand how anyone takes this job when, historically speaking, you're probably two months away from an indictment. So, right.
1: I mean, honestly, I, I right now this was probably Trump's worst week. He's still around. Everything that's coming out regarding Michael Cohen, the Mueller investigation, Flynn. I mean, you're literally looking at yourself and you're like,
0: mm, maybe
1: mm-hmm. I pass on that one. The healthcare yeah. ain't that like, great.
0: It's just absurd. And um, I think. It's been an interesting week for Trump in general, because I think when you look at a clinical narcissist, and no, I'm not a psychologist, but I'm also not a dumbass. The guy is definitely a clinical narcissist. Um, my favorite tweet I woke up to yesterday was Donald Trump tweeted out, just so everyone knows, like tons of people wanted that job, okay? And it's like, yeah, okay, Jan. Okay, the lady doth protest before. Sure, Jan. Like, <laughs> Like, My God. Um, as a tiny side note, before we go to our third point, I saw this last night, um, coming out of, I think it's the Washington post or the, Oh, it's one, one, a, a reputable news source that it looks like Lindsey Graham is completely tied up in Russian money. And I feel vindicated because here's the thing. Lindsey Graham is a piece of shit, right? But his behavior of is shit. So erratic that, like, it didn't make sense how he could think that it wouldn't look the way that it looked unless he was extremely compromised and was trying desperately to keep his controllers happy. So, news broke yesterday that there's, it looks like there's campaign money that came in from Russia to move him forward. And I'm like, all of y'all, like, at this point, I think we can all look at each other and very, very comfortably say, the entire Republican party, and I'm not going to leave Democrats out of this because honestly, I think most of Washington right now is compromised. Um, But at a minimum, the entire Republican party is compromised. And like Russia, like for those of you who watch the Americans, which is like the greatest show that has ever been on TV during this golden age of television. um, It looks like we've been playing, like Russia has been playing the long game on the cold war and we fucking forgot because they're everywhere. Their money and influence is everywhere. And we have got to stop it. Like, this is such, it's such a bad look.
1: Yeah, it's also Saudi money.
0: Saudi money is tied with Russian money, 100%. We've been talking about Saudi money since, at least in my collective, since 9-11, right? Um, where we were like, hey, so it looks like the Saudi Arabians funded 9-11. And we were like, war with Afghanistan. Uh, and so, yeah, I think it's, we're starting to see how bought our political system and systems have been for the last who knows how many years i'm gonna i'm gonna go on a limb and say like 30 40 how long this has been going on and how stupid and blind we have been as the american people to think that this is what democracy looks like so it's it's just a crazy time to be an american or to be a resistor probably a really crazy time to be on the outside looking in right like to be like from any other country looking at what the fuck is happening here so next uh okay so we talked a lot about yeah why we've decided to do the hunger games and it is really difficult to see those reasons come to fruition um so we know that um this week jacqueline call who was a guatemalan uh refugee seeker asylum seeker who was seven years old died in border control custody um she's seven years old dude and she she died of thirst and and like lack of medical attention under our watch in a child concentration camp basically um yeah yeah. uh which i i always i so look i get a lot of looks when i tell people that i've been doing um like a dual PhD in literature and religion. And like, people are very impressed when you say that, when they're like, what have you written about? And you're like, Harry Potter, (laughs) the Hunger Games. (laughs) People are like, oh. And it's like, no, like there's a reason that we look at what we look at and we write about what we write. Um, The Hunger Games, when you break it down at its core, is a criticism that all war is on the shoulders of the most vulnerable, specifically children. This week, we see that in cold blood, Americans are responsible for the death of children in custody and for the death of children who have absolutely nothing to do with anything that is happening right now and who were in the process of doing something that is legal, which is to seek asylum in a country when your life is in danger. Um, Central American countries have like a ton of extreme violence right now, gang violence, that by the way, has been fueled by the American war on drugs. Right, um, I say this as a Colombian who watched, like, her country, like, fall to shambles in wars um, over the drug war and 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 whatnot, narco like narco war. Um, and I'm like, my words are like failing me because I don't have a lot of words to describe the devastation I have felt this week. Um, when when John and I have talked about where politics and religion meld. Um, like, John, I think you will agree with me that I don't know if there's anything more symbolic than a family with children seeking refuge during Christmas time. Um, and then to think that would we have let, I'm, I'm not, I'm not a Christian anymore. I'm not a Catholic anymore, but it is foundationally what I grew up as. It is my narrative, right? And when I think of like, what would our, what would our stories look like if it was like, yeah, Jesus and his parents fled so we we starved them to death in custody but it was legal because that's what Caesar said like that's how barbaric this is um and to watch I I turned on Fox News this week to watch how they were spinning this and Kristen Nielsen can literally go rotten fucking hell for the rest of her life I don't know how she sleeps at night but she pretty much blamed the parents and was like yeah this is what happens when you do this and it's like no the, like, these are the, like, unimaginable choices parents have to make to keep their kids alive. Never would a parent have thought that in the custody of what is considered the greatest nation in the world, their children would die of thirst.
1: Say her name. Jacqueline Call. Jacqueline Call. Don't let it. Don't ever forget it's
0: it. It's really dark, guys. So as we go into Mockingjay, um, parts one and two, because we're going to combine them. Um... I want to acknowledge that um, there is actually the death of a child in this final like piece of the Hunger Games that ties into this. Obviously, we wouldn't, we could not have planned this. If, like, we could not have. Um, but I want to be sensitive to the fact that like, there's no way to separate again our stories from our truths. So as we navigate this, like, you know, my love for John being patient with me as like I go through this because it's, it's just been really difficult. I I had tons of hangups about recording this episode.
1: Yeah. It's really disgusting. Kirsten Neeson, the whole lot of them, they have a special shoot to hell directly. (laughs) I was speaking with the devil yesterday and, you know, among the many things that we talk about um, it is the special ladder and shoot that anyone in that administration is. And and Marcia was re-listening to, I think, one of our episodes before where it says, like, you have a clear choice. When someone says, like, you are going to throw gas at migrant seekers, like, you quit. You quit. You quit. And um, everyone, anyone complicit. um, It's like I always say sexual harassment has no political affiliation, um, even though the Trump administration is... The charge for this, um, anyone that is complicit yeah. with yeah. what's been going on on our borders, the illegal, um, just actions happening, the direct violation of human rights, the war crimes, more specifically. Yeah, I keep bringing that
0: up to people. Like this is not clear violations of human rights issues. Like yeah. we as a country would prosecute other countries for doing this. We would create sanctions. Like. Um, it's just, we're above the law at this point. And I say we, because as much as I want to say, president Trump is not my president and this administration is a false administration. And like, I, I actually do think that, I don't think this presidency is valid, but that does not mean that I have not in very real ways become complicit in what we have done as a country. And I want to, I want to be louder and more vocal, um, Going going forward. So, all right, all right, y'all. Uh, much love. I'm sorry. Like I, I actually I'm not sorry. The heaviness of this all we all have to bear it because there's a family now that without a daughter and she's not the first one to die in custody. By the way, if you look at the numbers, that they're actually they're really disturbing. Um, yeah. So, let's talk Mockingjay and work out some of this anxiety together. You ready, John? I'm ready. All right, John. So we're still going to do what worked, what didn't work, and we're going to split it in two parts, so we'll do Mockingjay Part 1. and Just the
1: worst Jay. movie ever.
0: Mockingjay part I wish you guys could see John's notes, because John's notes when I first got them were like, this movie fucking sucks. And every single point he had was just like, I fucking hate this movie. So let's... Get <laughs> I did a lot of work on your points on this outline, John.
1: Thanks, Marcy. <laughs> Always leaving the women to carry the brunt of the white All
0: the emotional labor for us. Um, okay, so let's talk about in Mockingjay Part 1, for those of you who are like, which one was Part 1? The part you don't remember is Part 1, so it'll be okay. That's
1: the part you don't remember. The part that you're like, I just paid $17 for a ticket and like $45 for candy and popcorn. By the way, candy and popcorn at the movies is so expensive. The tickets are actually a cheap part now, which is cuckoo. But this is that film. So you're like, what did I, where did that $100 go that I spent on a movie? Oh, that's right. This. Uh-huh
0: popcorn all right so john talk to me about president coin
1: Okay, so I said this in the last episode and this is where I think that this film um, and this franchise series got bigger and bigger as after the first one kind of dropped and it became such a commercial hit which is also why we have part one and part two because they wanted to in the dough. Hello, capitalism. Um, but um, you saw a lot of actors um, that were A-list actors coming on board to play these really specific roles because if anyone else were to have played this role, I think it would have really have, have failed um, for me in my opinion and julianne moore is one of my favorite actresses she's fantastic fantastic. and for her to come on as president coin and knowing kind of where she would have to go in that role and kind of this underlying narrative that she would have to play like people with a double like life and what she really wanted to get to was incredible she is i think when i look at our notes Marcy, like one of four things that actually worked for me in this entire film. Um, The acting by these actors is good. Like it's extraordinary. And she plays this role really well. And I got to give it to her. You know, it's my favorite part of the film and probably part two as well.
0: Yeah, no, I, I will definitely agree with you that I think she was great casting. Um, I was a little confused if we're talking about casting choices that worked or did not work. Um, Natalie Dormer came on board for this uh, and shaved half her head for this film, and I can't even remember her in it, which like, girl, you maybe didn't have to shave your whole head for this movie because I can't remember you. Um, but uh, Julianne Moore did work for me as Coyne. Um Casting in general for this film was, for both of these films was interesting because there's a lot of people. So just to give like a tiny bit of a recap, obviously, when Mockingjay picks up, Katniss and a couple other of the victors, the victors have been split up, have been picked up and taken to District 13. Some have been taken to the Capitol. And District 13 is obviously this enormous district underground that has been resisting since the fall of you know, the, the districts when they, when they rose up the original time. And so you're gonna, you're gonna introduce a ton of new people because we're in an entirely new scenario. Um, can I remember most people? No. Like, do, like, honestly, if I'm to like rock my head for like the generals and like people like that, I'm like, God damn it. Like, I really can't believe anything. Not believe, I can't remember anyone. Um, but yeah. Julian Moore sticks out as like, and I think you and I will get to this. Like, I, her character doesn't work for me. Her performance does.
1: Yeah, the character is definitely like, ooh.
0: Right. So if if we're looking at things that worked, Katniss lands in um, District 13. She's recovering. Joanna, Peta, and all them are in the Capitol. She's with Finnick, um, which obviously leads to kind of the split story of like the folks who are in District 13, the folks who are still in the Capitol, But because... Katniss watches PETA be used for these videos that are then used as propaganda in the Capitol, and I would say Districts 1 and 2 who kind of side with the Capitol, then Katniss decides that she will take on the role of the face of this this rebellion. And um, this is all to set up the fact that this movie primarily centers its narrative on um, two things for me, the power of propaganda and fake news, interestingly enough, and then the burden of children. So like, yeah. let's look at propaganda first. John, you said to me that propaganda and the way that it's used by both sides in Mockingjay um, felt like something that worked for you.
1: That this movie in its use of propaganda. We ta- I talked about this as one of my favorite things of catching fire. Um it works because it takes it to a different level in these two games, specific in, in these two films, specifically the the second film. But how they use propaganda to prop up people. And that's kind of like when you talk about like the Natalie Dormer and those crew that are like there to like film Katniss as like the symbol of the rebellion. Where in reality like it's just the image on the screen that you're seeing. She's acting. She's really not there yet. She's just a sh- shell-shocked you know and upset that PETA and all these people were you know in the capital and you know they're whatever's going on with them but propaganda is so important because you see it happening to the outside world so they've destroyed district 12 which is Katniss's home um, and people got out and they were now in district 13 and president coin uses propaganda kind of in the same way that like these famous dictators would use and and speechify right they would step up there they would be like
0: speechify. give their
1: whole speechify they would you know speechification <laughs> they would talk about all of their stuff right and they they they're trying to roll up their crowd i mean it's very classic of what like hitler did what mussolini did all these people did to you know create that narrative you know it's definitely propaganda tools these big images these big ideas no no substance right it's just what trump did he would go to all these rallies It's why he still goes to all these rallies right and then you see the same thing on president coin but they have the access to technology they have the access to these shows these flashy things of the capital still so propaganda is like probably one of the main streams of thought for how they're able to get all this information out both on the side of the quote-unquote rebellion and um the quote-unquote capital
0: yeah, I, I would say that when you look at the way that we process information, um, no one is, is exempt from, from taking in messaging that is being sent to them. Um, part of my job is marketing and communications in, in my role. And uh, it's always funny to me that people think they're completely outside of the realm of being messaged to right? So when you look at Katniss being the Mockingjay and speaking to those that they're trying to rally up for the rebellion, um, that is messaging and that is propaganda. Propaganda in and of itself, um, I struggle to define it as a, as a, as a inherently bad thing because I, like, Propaganda borders a bit more on the on the untrue narrative, right? Which means like it is a one-shot vision for something. But but no, neither side in any type of political warfare doesn't try to attract sympathy and support through messaging. Um, I think where it becomes useful in mocking Jay is that as Katniss becomes disenchanted with the system she's serving, she kind of realizes that they're all puppets, right? And I think that is, um, that is what we're supposed to kind of like follow the rabbit hole, right? She's a
1: tool of everyone's means, but her own. And that's where, when she takes back her agency in the second film, or at the end of the first film too, kind of, um, because she's kind of just aimlessly walking around the whole, this whole part one being like, what's (laughs) going on? Effie, you're here. You're not in the book in this film, but like you're here because like you're just amazing. Like, oh, I'm gonna go underground because there's bombs. I'm gonna sit in. It's such a boring movie. Nothing happens. But the second film is where she gets her bitch back a little bit. Like she's like, okay. and you know we, you know we can spoil it because you are hoping you've seen it. But when she shoots President Coyne and kills her at the end, it's like boom. I'm actually the Mockingjay.
0: Way to spoil it, my friend. <laughs>
1: Whatever. Hopefully you watched the movies. If you didn't, like, well, whatever. You
0: listening to us. <laughs> yeah. Alright, so um, moving along kind of on this idea of Katniss as the symbol of the rebellion, I don't think Katniss has a lot of agency in that decision. Uh, but I will say that the use of a, a child as a symbol of a rebellion is tale as old as time. So we tend to always see when big political um, moments happen, when big moments of rebellion happen, that there's some catalyst that becomes kind of like the face of something, right? Um, I'm thinking of a couple years ago uh, the syrian the the Syrian refugee crisis had been going on for a very long time. Um, and suddenly a a very young little boy washes up on the shore um, in Lesbos, and he became the the face like actually faceless because he was facing down, but he became a symbol of the Syrian refugee crisis and the war in Syria. Migrant
1: crisis, yeah.
0: Migrant crisis, right? Um, That is not uncommon. You look at American civil rights and you look at the children's faces that were the face of the civil rights movement as they fought for desegregation of schools, as we saw the bombing of churches. Um, I feel so like it is discombobulating to be like, we as a humanity always like gravitate towards these grotesque stories of children dying as catalysts but we do we just do um and a part of that is the voyeurism and and kind of like inability to look away right and so if you think of Katniss symbolically here's a young girl who has survived a fight to the death twice right who's who has had her face plastered all like she had no choice but to become what she became, right? Um, uh, I think of Jacqueline Call, um, and forgive me if I'm not saying her name right. Um, but uh, th- she has become the face of something that there's her family, no one has a, no one has a say in it because that's the way that this happens. Um, and so as distasteful as it feels, at times um to to look at these things and to think like these are catalysts they just are so um so the symbol of the rebellion katniss becoming the mockingjay really does work for me Uh, because we've seen it forever
1: yeah it's Uh, in history
0: right right uh we it's it's in our stories it's in our it's in our history um what what else kind of pops up to me and we talked about this with um kristin nielsen nielsen i can't say her name um
1: but nazi Snow- number one or nazi number 50
0: right number, i'm gonna do her as at number one right now um snow's cruelty to katniss in uh J part one reads very real to me because we have seen it <laughs> like the scene uh where katniss comes out and Snow has dropped a gajillion white roses, which has been kind of an ongoing theme in these books and movies. Um, Snow uh, has a thing for gardening and roses, and it's his way of like being like, I'm still here, bitch, like I'm right here. Um, that type of a cruelty that feels personalized, we've seen in our recent political discussions where there's a, there is no sense of decorum in the way that people are brought down. There's no sense of like respect or um, it is the lowest common denominator that you attack in a person. It is their fears, their trauma that 's what you go after. Um, so it, yeah, like what do you think of of the entire kind of you had said that like one of the things that struck you was that this these two movies the two the the one book really show that like true evil and and I think that John and I both use evil as like truly evil decision makers will do anything to destroy hope if it gets there, if it's a means to an end, right?
1: Yeah, he. you can also see how he's enjoying it. Right. But the thing about Katniss and President Snow is especially in the, the second film that there's like a certain respect between both of them. Like that I think Katniss discovers... President Snow sees her as a worthy opponent and he needs to do all these horrible things that he's never really had to do to other people because he's always able to take them out in one shot. He can't do that to Katniss right. because she he, she presents a problem to him that he tries to solve that he can't. Um, and then additionally, at the end of the second film, when everything's said and done, I think Katniss comes to an understanding that true evil, actual evil, although President Snow is evil, has many forms. For example, like when she looks at him and she doesn't kill him, there's like a certain like nod to him in that last scene, like this respect. Like you have to, you have to. uh, You have to call a bitch a bitch, like a respect. Like you go, girl, you got it. Like you are gonna kill me. Like I get it. Like, but at least I know your true motives. Like President Cohen tried to hide it.
0: You and I would both, I think, agree that, like, I think it is really useless when people talking about like the current administration are like they're all they're all just idiots. Like this is so funny that they're all just idiots. Like no, yo, like you don't get to this level of power without. And respect does not mean admiration like yes it's it, it, those are two very different things a
1: worthy opponent
0: right and i like i want to acknowledge the fact that what i'm facing is a real threat you are you are an opponent and you are real and and that's it like when we minimize the power of those who are who are doing evil that is that is gaslighting those who are doing the resistance
1: yeah i i think that's uh... I didn't put this down, but that is one of my things that I did like about this film is that there is a certain level of respect for a a formidable enemy within Katniss and President Snow. Um, Within Katniss and President Coyne, they're always just kind of looking at each other and Katniss always sees her and who she really is. And President Coyne knows Katniss sees that and she's always trying to like do something that makes her look a lot grander, right? And when all the chips are down, she would rather kill that president than President Snow, who's done all these horrible things to her, because she knows exactly what's going to happen to President Snow. She knows she won, but she knows what she needs to do to make sure she rights the wrongs of that, and that's letting the public kill President Snow.
0: Yep. Um, Moving on to something else that worked for me, which will definitely go into Mockingjay Part 2, is at the end of this film, um, one of the actions that. Uh, happens both sides fighting each other is that we have a bunch of dead peacekeepers in, in one of the fights, right? And um, this is a really simple point for me. Like, people were really up in arms at all the dead people in Joaquin uh, Wars are bloody and people die. Particularly, like, and, and here's where I'll separate it from my critique of children dying. People who participate in wars uh, actively die, on both sides, the, the, the correct side, the side on the right side of history and the wrong side. So the idea that peacekeepers died in a military fight, that is something we see happen. Um, and it is a reminder that there is an extremely high cost for peace. These are peacekeepers. And that we are responsible for lives that are lost in war. Like that's part of the calculation of like, do is this a just war right how many people are going to die but i'm not part of the camp that's like i can't believe peacekeepers died i can't believe that you know spoiler alert not really that prim dies like um yes they're at war uh there are people culpable for those deaths but this is a war um and if you read the hunger games expecting twilight that's just not it
1: uh yeah i agree you actually see the cost of this war
0: yeah yeah And then the final thing that worked for me in this one is the idea of hijacking. So PETA, when he's with the Capitol, has been hijacked. And that is uh, Suzanne Collins' term for, to a certain extent, brainwashed, uh, brain traumatized. So they've done some type of um, therapy on him, not therapy, but like some type of psychological warfare that he now associates a lot of things in his life that were good as bad, Katniss being the primary one So um, we know that psychological torture is a real thing. Um, We also know it's not extremely effective, actually, and that the government has covered up for years that it's not effective. But we do know it's a thing. Um, The part where this works for me is is actually tying it back to propaganda and and false messaging. Um, You can become poisoned by bad messaging, by propaganda. obviously hijacking is a more severe version of that but but PETA is a victim of what false narrative messaging perpetually having to listen to it what it can do right and and also of how difficult it is to bring someone back when they've gone that way so that yeah. that for me is a very strong point in this movie to kind of just give like a visual through one of the favorite characters for most readers of look like enough poison will poison you and and that is a very real thing and like for folks who who have family who have been listening to bullshit propaganda for the last like three, four, five, ten 10 years, um, we know that that's a true thing. Like you can watch very good people all of a sudden become unrecognizable and you become unrecognizable to them. And that's the people I want to acknowledge is if you've had family members, loved ones who have turned on you and who all of a sudden see you as, you know, full of hatred or all this other stuff and they've been fed this bullshit, I am with you in solidarity because I know what that feels like and I know what it's like to see someone just go putrid from the inside because of messaging. And so, yeah.
1: To make it more funny in a way is this is probably my only scene in the film that I was waiting for.
0: But um, you and Brent are the same person. Brent died laughing during the scene.
1: Because it it's absolutely hysterical. That's and bad it's bad. awful to say, <laughs> but um, the Everyone, in, the only part for mocking J Part 1 that you're getting to is you're getting to this scene. You're getting to the scene in, where they rescue them in the Capitol and really what happened. Like Joanna's shaved, head is bald, all this stuff, right? And you get to see Peta because Pita is this person that Katniss obviously cares for. So there's that like love triangle that doesn't work for Marcy and doesn't work for me in that sense. Um, And you see her looking on him and she tries to go by PETA and he strangles the living crud out of her because he's been so hijacked to think of like Katniss is evil and he has to kill her at all costs. They've been that successful. And that was a deliberate thing that President Snow did because she knew how much, he knew how much PETA meant to, Katniss, and you see her come up in the brace. You see all of this stuff, and you see him just thrashing about in the
0: bed. It's
1: such, a and it's such, it's like, such horrible acting. It's just so bad. And all you can do is laugh. And I've made the best gifts and memes out of it saying when your best friend walks in on you after a night of drinking, like yeah. all, all the funny stuff. And that's what you're looking like. I mean, seriously, like I believed Katniss's reaction, but like. It's this the casting of it's just was horrible.
0: So obviously, moving on to what didn't work of Mockingjay, Mockingjay Part One. For me, Jennifer Lawrence's performance was just abysmal. Um,
1: oh yeah, I agree.
0: It just it just did not work for me, um, which I I wonder if it was a script pacing problem and not necessarily so much them, um, but it's just this first film honestly there's like three important scenes and the rest is just kind of like Jesus Christ we have to flesh this all out because we still have another movie and everything important happens in that next one and so and obviously like there's main characters that aren't even here like where the where is Effie where is like where are the people that have kind of fleshed out the stories like Prim is pretty absent in this one Katniss's mom is absent um even Gail is kind of like not here so doesn't
1: work. Yeah, I yeah. The pacing is obviously my biggest problem with this whole film. I mean, I had nothing really good to say about this film, this part one. It is as many of the listeners will understand, it is where I critique like the the consumer like just consumerism and capitalism just making these things into part two parters they did it with twilight they did it with harry potter you know harry potter i would argue that it needed to be done that book was huge there was way too much to get done way too many important scenes um that's where i'll I'll be okay they kind of also started the part one part two and when they saw how much it made they kind of did these things with like yeah twilight and then mockingjay i mean the book mockingjay is only like 200 pages for pete's sake like it's there's nothing in it and the pacing is horrible and i totally agree with you marcy i think that like they started filming it they just filmed all this stuff and they're always like oh well we have all this stuff we can make a hundred jillion dollars just awful it was just so bad
0: right the idea that an entire war is fought through like these propaganda bits for me was just not useful like um, and it's not really the way it plays out in the books. Um, and, and then, like, Katniss not being able to kind of understand why she's being asked to be the Mockingjay. Like, Katniss is not dumb. Like, this girl has literally outwit the capital twice. And then in here, she's like, and some people will say it's PTSD. Yes, but but she is not dumb. She, she would understand why they need her to to fight. Like regardless of the ending of this film, Katniss was on the right side with with District Thirteen, and for those who disagree with me, like okay, um, but you know the what fact-
1: the part you know the only part that did work for me now that I'm thinking about it. It's literally the promotional stuff. The trailers where it was like President Snow and then it was PETA and um, Jenna Malone's character like sitting there and they're clearly brainwashed and all of that. And then like they just kind of look at each other or like he puts his hand on the shoulder. That was better than the whole film.
0: Yeah, yeah. My final critique of this, and we'll move on um, to Mockingjay Part 2, which is where everything happens, is... And this has been a critique since the first time I read the book. Um, so we all know that there is a, a part where Katniss goes back to District 12. She takes in the destruction and she starts singing a song, right? And first off, the singing is so obnoxious. You don't need to have a singing Mockingjay. I get the the iteration of the Mockingjay, but um, it was obnoxious to begin with. Um, I, I don't know what it is about characters that are like secretly singers that like really grates on me, but it does. Um, Here's the problem. The song that she sings uh, that Suzanne Collins wrote is called The Hanging Tree. Historically speaking, that is a nod, and I'm using nod in a very nice way, to civil rights songs. Right? The one that primarily comes to mind, I'm thinking of Billie Holiday singing Strange Fruit, which is a song about lynchings in the South. I don't feel comfortable with a white woman talking about white people suffering and then singing a song about a hanging tree. Sorry, my love, we're not far enough removed from the civil rights movement. um, When people are still being lynched to this day, people of color in the US, that while I understand that the Hunger Games is meant to kind of be in a dystopian world and it's far removed, and we know that the, the Hunger Games universe has issues of diversity and has racism issues and they're segregated um it is tone deaf for me this hanging tree song
1: um it, uh, I, it was like on the actual radio
0: yeah no i hate it and they turned it into a techno song like imagine turning strange fruit into a techno song like
1: <sighs> next
0: yeah thank you next all right thank you part two
1: uh okay here we go we've made it to the other oh side God. we've made it to the other side of the hill thank you everyone <laughs> thank you um,
0: so President Coin okay and I I've had trouble flushing this out so y'all are gonna have to bear with me President Coin works for me on a lot of different fronts um the script is not one of them but her as a symbol of something is President Coin is a female leader of a military organization, or I would say of a military backed government who is a take no prisoners type of leader. I like a children's book, young adult book aimed at primarily female readers presenting a woman in this role. Um, the fact that she is unapologetically a leader that, um, that she is recognized by her people as that, that she's recognized by Snow as that is important to me. The fact that she's not some frilly-dilly, hippy-dippy leader is also important to me. I know that we'll kind of discuss this later with choices that she makes at the end of the, the story, but I, she is categorically just a fucking authoritarian kind of leader. And that works for me because we don't usually get women leaders in those positions because men are convinced that women are only soft little flowers yeah that works for me uh how about you
1: i she worked for me in both roles also i loved her hair
0: (laughs) you know that's what it was was,
1: fierce it It was that fierce cut
0: that is exactly what my hair would look like except not as it's like
1: gray she's like take no prisoners yeah like her, her capelet was fabulous
0: right it's just like it's it is very good to see that type of leadership from a feminine perspective Um, in regards to her leadership, then we can probably have some disagreement, right? So so obviously there's there's a lot of fighting and they're trying to get snowed down. Like they're trying to take down the Capitol. And at one point Katniss sneaks off on a ship with a bunch of people and heads to the Capitol. And I I would like to say that I have issues with that, but she gets to the Capitol, right? And then we have kind of this, like, I I don't know, like a not a war scene, even just like a an urban scene of of warfare. Um, And I think one of the things that we should just get off um, to talking about is uh, President Snow in the final scenes in the Capitol, where Katniss has made it through all of the hoopla of trying to get to him because she's determined to kill him and apparently no one was watching her in District 13 so she could get on a flight. Um, Snow uses medics and children as shield in his final moments as leader of the Capitol. Uh, John, that works for me because it rings true. You?
1: rings true. I mean, we see exactly what the Trump organization, the Trump presidency... I think of
0: Syria, Yemen. Yeah,
1: they use these things because... They know that like it just opens up all of these different ways in which people uh, just use this to block them to cause different narratives i mean you look at you look at the crisis right you look at like the are the little girl that was killed. like people are talking about her, but then they're talking about our policy. And they literally, like Jason Chaffetz, just said, "Like this should be a reason for you not to come to the border. Like you could die. Like really, asshole. Like and that's yeah, I was gonna say point. it's a
0: fear tactic, right? Yeah. So. It's and a, then there's a person it, impact. Right, and a coward tactic. Yeah. So I don't think there's anything more cowardly than using the most vulnerable to protect your own body, right? And that's exactly what Snow does. Um, so he has the, the medics come in. There's children surrounding his, his... He knows that there's two things people do not want to bomb. They don't want to bomb children. And they don't want to bomb medics. So that's what he her surrounds himself with. It's an extremely cowardly move. The other thing is a projected expectation that not only do people not want to bomb children and medics, regardless of what the, the reasons for needing to do it is, wanting to do it is not the right word. It would be needing to do it, is that this sends a narrative to people who are resisting that it could be your children next, and uh, there are no safe zones, right? It's an extremely chaotic approach to warfare. Um, it's a very real approach to warfare. So um,
1: people use children because they're cowards and we're definitely seeing that play right. out. Right,
0: the U.S. dropped, um, I remember when this was going around, when we were dropping bombs uh, during the Afghanistan war, we also dropped food packets the same color as the bombs that we dropped. So when you think of the cruelty of that, right? Um, and I would say that was just callous uh, miscalculation, like no one even paid attention. But, um, but this is just one of the horrors of, of war that we don't we try to kind of just ignore um so uh and so obviously when this is happening we know that prim has a very keen interest in medic uh in 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 the medical field because her mother is also a, a carer like a caretaker and so prim is one of the medics and and prim is bombed in this final scene in the Capitol and she dies uh, talk to me about that ending john <sighs>
1: Uh, everyone kind of knows that this is something that I had a lot of issues with because it's larger connection to like the Gale narrative and how I just don't know if it makes sense. But I guess when Katniss sees Prim there, you know, trying to help, that's who her sister always is. But I never really thought, I just thought that the sacrifice that was made for Prim the sacrifice at all costs really takes away from the original inclination for why Katniss volunteered in the first place. And her meaningless death in that way, it just didn't work for me. I mean, it worked for me and it didn't work for me. I'm really conflicted about it because I just don't know if it was lazy writing on Suzanne Collins' part, like of, like how can I leave this in this way and set it up with these certain narratives and get to Team PETA? I don't know. I have a lot of feelings about it.
0: We so disagree on this, haha. <laughs> Good. We so disagree on this. Okay, so for me, and to to give some clarity to the Gail comments, Gail becomes kind of a military thinker and um, warfare engineer in, in District Thirteen, and he is the one who who sent the bombs that end up killing the children and medics. Um, so the question that a lot of people had was. Did Gail know that Prim would be there as a medic? And then would he have sacrificed her for the greater good of destroying the capital? Um, so I'm, I'm going to start with, does Prim dying make sense? Yes. How
1: do you feel about the greater good too? Please tell me about that, Marcy.
0: What? Dumbledore say what? Grindelwald say what? Um, okay, so so Prim to me, her death makes sense. Prim was young. This is a, this is a series about children dying in war. Um, and we know Prim to be a good heart. If there was an opportunity to be a medic, she would have been. So I don't think Prim's death is surprising at all. I know for some people, it's like the only reason Katniss even went to the Hunger Games was to keep her sister alive. And I think the point that we're that we're supposed to take from this is you cannot keep anyone alive in an unjust and oppressive society. You can't. You can want to, you can do a lot to do it, you might get lucky, but at the end of the day, like oppressive regimes, societies that are doing harm, they don't see narrative, they don't see the sacrifice Katniss put in. Like they are strictly eye on the prize, which is oppression. So there is no correlation between Katniss having gone in, uh, volunteered as tribute for, for Prim and Prim dying. This is what happens with war. I think of like families who, who lose one, two, three, four, five kids in World War One and Two, right? We we see families who lost like everyone. Um, and you know, there is no there is no possible way to make the argument, well, they already lost a son, so their second son's gonna live through this.
1: Isn't that the plot line of saving private Ryan?
0: Oh my God. yeah. <laughs> it really is. Um, but it's just you there's no guarantee <laughs> in war. There's not. Um, there
1: isn't. I'm very yes. conflicted, Marcy. Like, I hear what you're saying. I, and I, completely, I, I that, completely agree with it.
0: That it hurts. And I understand that when we think of, like, injustice, it's like, how much can someone bear? And, like, honestly, um, like, it doesn't, like, the heartbreak and, and devastation really doesn't kill you. She no. unfortunately needs to keep bearing it. Depression can kill you. But the sheer act of someone dying cannot. Um, but so so again, to start off with, Prim's death while devastating makes complete sense to me. Moving on to Gail and whether or not we need to look at the Gail narrative as like whether Suzanne Collins fucked up, I don't think so. And I'm going to tell you why. Um, and this is where I'm conflicted because I'm not even sure what type of person I am when, I, when I'm when i about to break down. Um, Gail from the get-go, we know is absolutely against the Capitol and authoritarianism. Um, his ultimate goal is to defeat the Capitol. And we know this from a scene where Katniss in *Mocking* in, uh, Catching Fire says, we should run. And when she's like, they're going to kill us because people are rebelling in other districts. The second that clicks in Gail's Gale, head, there are other people already rebelling and putting their lives on the line. He no longer cares about running away with Katniss. He tells her, I'm not going. This is our shot. This this is what we have to do. He has a sense of loyalty to to winning and to taking down this evil oppressor. So look, I don't think there's any version of Gail that if he had known actually that Prim was gonna be a paramedic, wouldn't have tried to stop that. But would he have tried to stop the bombs that killed her? Absolutely not. Like his ultimate goal, like a lot of the people in District 13 was at all costs, bring this government down. Does that mean he's blinded to some of the stuff from, from district 13? Sure. But like when, like when I think of who we were presented with Gail, he's not a bad person. he was doing what he thought was best, I absolutely don't think he put Prim in in harm's way, but I also think that he would understand Prim's death as part of the cost of war. So that's what I think. And that works for me.
1: Yeah. He will do anything to take down the Capitol.
0: Right. Right. It's just and, like and with Katniss. Right. I think just like Katniss could have done anything up until the loss of her sister.
1: Yeah. So. Then it's like all hands. She's like, I got nothing left. Okay. Like, yeah. I'm going to kill.
0: Yeah. People. Which, which we'll talk about in a bit, which is I don't feel like her moral choices come from a moral center. They come from trauma. Yeah. So she's actually not a great hero because she isn't centering it on right and wrong. She's centering it a bit on how she feels. Um, uh, So yeah, we've covered a lot of what works. The final thing, John, unless you have something else for me is, and I know people are going to be like, what? So Finnick and Annie's wedding works for me. And the reason it works for me is something that I brought up last week, which is um, I mentioned that one of my mentors had seen this um, mural that said resist and rejoice. And I think that no matter how dark things are around you, to quote Love actually during this Christmas season, love really is all around. And you don't stop living. And we are all really good examples as we're watching democracy kind of fall right now. You don't stop living. And no matter what, like,
1: you have to have some beauty in the pain.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Like, so, so for some people, it was like, why would there be a wedding in the middle of a war? And it's like, to
1: seriously. give Effie a scene.
0: Right. Then don't go to the wedding. But some of us would like a slice of cake in between our oppression sandwiches. So. It, it
1: works fine it, I'm indifferent to it it's fine like I I mean the main things that really just worked for me this whole film are like the ending I mean Katniss killing coin I think you said it all and your how you summed it up and when we were discussing this like she arranged it all she literally saw what was happening and her vote when the, all the victors were reminded, like in that table in the table like, she knew exactly what she was doing. And Katniss killing Snow, like I said. It's kind of like that nod. Talk it's
0: me like, through that ending. Talk me through Katniss. Why does, what, what leads to this ending? So,
1: so the ending, so everything is said and done. The children are all killed. Gail has sent the bombers. Basically, they revolted on the Capitol. The people still in the Capitol revolted on Snow because they thought that he sent it because it was a Capitol plane, all this stuff. Um, so the war is over. and um, basically. President Coyne gathers the rest of the victors around because they're the symbols of the resistance, right? And she wants to have one more hunger games of all the main capitals children to like pay back and all that stuff. And yeah, reparations. Yeah, sorry. Reparations is the right word. And, you know, it comes down to the victors voting on it. Um, everyone had a vote and it was carried because, you know, Katniss as the de facto leader PETA says no. Um, you know. But Katna says yes. And she is, the acting there is pretty. It's extraordinary in her eyes. I I feel, um, and she knows what's about ha- to happen. She knows what's going on. She knows who President Coin is. Like all the cards are on the table, and she knows what she has to do. And so Haymitch says she, he's with the Mockingjay, and this whole thing gets set up where there she was going you to know, announce it, President Coin, and
0: right. The made- pictures are really split on whether or not this type of a reparations is worth anything. For half of them, it is unfathomable that they would creed yeah. and hunger games when that's what they had been fighting for the others katniss included i would say that their trauma blinds them um and the want to feel some sort of revenge
1: and that's where katniss says she wants to kill snow she gets right. to kill snow she and she, she votes for the right yeah. yeah yeah exactly and I so that's included, where it all sets I, up
0: i don't think it was planned out um, and the reason I don't think it was planned out, but I could see why you do. But for me, the reason I don't think it was planned out is because I think she's too broken at that point to be making decisions long-term. I think in that moment, she's like, fuck it. Yeah, kill their children. And the moment that she, cause like John said, she requested to kill Snow um, and to, to shoot him with a bow and arrow, like the Mockingjay. I think the second she sees him is when she makes, a, a, again, a, a decision made from trauma to, I think she recognizes that Snow is too weak to survive anyway. But I, but I think that's when it hits her. Like, my God, we're about to do another Hunger Games. And that is when she shoots coin instead. And I think none of those decisions were wrong. I think they were the right decisions because she shoots coin. Snow, realizing what's happened, literally dies laughing. Uh, he chokes on his own blood while he's laughing. But I, I think, honestly, what we're seeing at the end is not a calculated leader, but a traumatized survivor. Doing what she needs to do.
1: Yeah, I think that's no matter what, Katniss always survives.
0: Right, right. That's actually a really good way to put it. Um, yeah, and she's a survivor. I don't she judge really? that in a hero because, like, look, you're born alone, you die alone, and you you got to fight to survive. And like, I appreciate an imperfect hero, and Katniss is 100% an imperfect hero.
1: Yeah. So Marcy, what did it work for you?
0: Mm. <laughs> so i already I'm mentioned sure that i thought katniss having the ability to sneak out to the capital was bananas so she's the most important person in the entire i was about to say realm like she's some princess but no joke like she like no one's watching her like seriously
1: just gonna jump on this plane
0: just gonna jump on this plane guys like no one's watching
1: um peace peace out <laughs>
0: Right. Uh, so that didn't work for me. Neither did. And this is a small point, but when she's in the Capitol, we have a return of the mutts, which is all of the victors, uh, like their faces have been put on these dog bodies and they're there to attack her. It was so unnecessary. You don't need to do that when there's plenty of horror to surround Katniss by that isn't kind of in the sci-fi realm that just wasn't necessary. John, how about you? Uh-
1: Definitely, we've already spoken about the death of Pram, but I'm kind of conflicted on it because I get it. Like, and your point really did help me kind of get to the other side more so, but like in a realm, in a realm, see, I did it, in a world where there's so much horror, like you cannot expect to make it out alive. And especially when you're like front and center, like she is the sister of the lead resistor, right? So I get it. Um, Jennifer Lawrence... She has a lot of restraint in this film, and so I really felt like she phoned it in for like ninety percent of the film. She's definitely gone on to bigger things by this point, just in the real world. I think she had already won her Oscar. She, you know, for um, Silver Linings Wonder Playbook
0: at this point, to be totally honest.
1: Yeah, so she's definitely bigger than this film. So this film got bigger as a result of her, right? So she's definitely taking on a whole nother level of like a actual A-list acting star. And I've seen Jennifer Lawrence act. I know she's a great actor, but I felt like she phoned it in on this. Um, and, you know, I kind of think I've come to this a little bit more, but the president's no Katniss scenes, some of them are really catchy and like, ha, 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 like we're just gonna, be evil, right? But then some are actually really good. And so I'm kind of 50-50 on that.
0: Right, right. Oh, and
1: PETA. PETA sucks.
0: We, we both agreed that like PETA just doesn't work. And maybe again, maybe a casting choice. Um, And I like Josh Hutchinson. It's really not him. I just don't think oh, he he's... Oh, yeah,
1: he's great. He's a great individual.
0: Um, and then the writing for him also made him into like a banana split. And like, it's like, no. Like, no yeah. one wants a banana split in a dystopian war. Um, so I know Gail for you, even though you're still conflicted, you still struggle with who he becomes.
1: Yeah. But I think I see it more so now, especially after we've discussed the prim, (laughs) you're welcome. You're right. You're right. Um, your favorite words, you're right. Um, but after we discussed the scene of like, you don't come, yeah, you don't come out of the other side of this unscathed and willing to do anything to win. Like the win overtakes every you know issue of like self-doubt out of you you know like
0: yeah right so if if we had done a podcast when i finished deathly hallows um one of the longest segments of that podcast would be i want to burn this fucking epilogue to the ground Um, you mean the fanfic yeah the the harry potter fan fiction at the end of deathly hallows is one of my least favorite things in the entire world um (laughs) <laughs> and then came So then how do you feel
1: about Cursed Child? So I I am reading finally the Cursed Child and I'm conflicted because you said it's canon and I get it's better than epilog fanfic in Deathly hollows but I'm conflicted on it.
0: Right. Okay, so for people listening who are like, "Wait, why did they switch to Harry Potter?" We're getting there. We're going to talk about the epilog in Hunger Games. Um so at the end of deathly hallows we get this epilogue that's like 17 years later and it's like everyone dropping their kids off at the hogwarts express and it's like super cute and it's like harry potter as a dad and albus uh old and fat right right and it was it was so strange because i can't think of anyone who needed that and not only that but like you didn't need to ground these magical characters in normal so i didn't need to know that ron was like balding and whatnot. Uh Cursed Child picks up after that epilogue in a very interesting way. I don't want to spoil it for people because I know there's people like my husband Brent who purposely have not read The Cursed Child as a as a play because they want to be surprised when they see it on stage, which anyone listening
1: And then the films. Read.
0: I'm about to tell you, John, stop reading it. Stop reading it because it is such magic on stage. It is such garbage on the page. Um, uh, it, that's just the way I feel about it. I feel really strongly about it. Um, so here's the thing.
1: I'll wait till the movie.
0: Fuck you, you're gonna see it. It needs to be seen on stage. <laughs> so The Hunger Games has this epilogue. Similar to Harry Potter, it is worth burning to the ground. Uh, uh, we, and John and I actually, when we were doing our master's program, we had just finished um, I had just written oh, 400 pages on Harry Potter and I was like needing to dissect something else. And we were talking a lot about, we, I distinctly remember staying up late when we were roommates talking about this final epilogue. So Katniss and PeTA are now married and they have two they're children. Married. And their children play on the fields of District 12 where everyone died. And
1: they're back.
0: they're back. And I hate it. For a lot of reasons.
1: Katniss is holding a baby in some weird way. Like she's so much, I'm not saying she can't be
0: domesticated. Yeah. And the reason that matters to me, this might not be anyone else's interpretation, she's very clear in every single book that she has no intentions of ever having children. She is traumatized by the experience of children in her lifetime. She cannot fathom the pain and weight of being a parent in such a dark world. So some will say, well, her world got better. So she had children. I don't think you get over trauma like that. Also.
1: Uh, that's some trauma, girl.
0: That's some real shit. And like, she's just very vocal about not wanting children. Like, like Gail at one point is like, we'll have children. And she's like, fuck off. Like, I'm a lesbian. She's like, like, you can
1: have children. I ain't <laughs> right. children.
0: It's just the need to take a wildcard hero of a rebellion and hand her a fucking baby so she can breastfeed on a fucking field
1: of wheat like they were literally running through like fields of wheat
0: Uh, yeah it is just it's there's a lot of christian symbolism in there and like i don't know also
1: like they it's apparently they're supposed to be older like they literally look the same
0: right in the books we get the sense that they're much older In, in the movie they were like nah like it'll be fine um I think this is a
1: case where, like, I was more comfortable with the book epilogue ending. I mean, it was still trash, but, like, I'm, uh, like, I believed it more on the, I didn't need to see it on the screen.
0: Agreed. I just, I saw the madness
1: in the book was better.
0: We don't, not not every, speaking of, like, things that don't need to happen, when we were discussing The Handmaid's Tale and potentially another book, like, um, don't you, not everything needs a fucking bow. You don't need to wrap it up in a bow and be like, all right, now everyone's happy. like that's not real life. That's not real life, but also when you, particularly when you're writing for young adults, right? Um, And I know this because my second chapter of my dissertation is on fucking The Hunger Games. Um, You don't, children do not, okay, we don't need to underestimate children. Children understand that sometimes things suck. And so the idea that we have to wrap this all up, and this is a trend, right? Like the Harry Potter epilogue was a goddamn nightmare. You look at, um, twilight right you have to wrap it up with like a wedding and everyone gets a soulmate and it's like what are y'all doing like what are you this is not song at the end oh my god yeah no you don't you just don't need to do that and so to me like it literally cancels out the strength of katniss at the end and again for anyone listening this is not a shitting on having children this is that contextually this character did not make sense
1: Yeah, she was never going to have children because she specifically never wanted them to enter into this realm. And it's like these kids are still young. It's only been a few years. And you see how delicate this new democracy is. I mean, we see how delicate democracy is with us in the real world. I mean, just when President Trump is hopefully unelected, right, in 2020, like, just because a new person is in there doesn't mean the trauma of the past goes away.
0: Right, right.
1: So yeah, the ending, and I love how we classified it on the notes. Like I said, this ending is garbage. It's just like the epilogue in Harry Potter, and you're like, just like the epilogue.
0: I was like, garbage, <laughs> garbage. So so yeah. So obviously, we're ending on a traditional pop theologian's note, which is this was garbage. Like
1: <laughs> the shady takedown.
0: Right. It's just it's a little disappointing, uh, but you know that. This is a series we love this is a series we break into a gajillion million pieces all the time and the reason we do that is because we love it right and we want the best for the stories that that become part of our collective narrative so
1: that is days,
0: part one and two y'all
1: yeah i <laughs> you know we are we you did it you're here marcy and i are going to be taking a a break for a few weeks here um, as we come back and get ready for season two. Marcy, what are we doing for season two?
0: Well, we are covering A Discovery of Witches which we're really, really excited about. Uh, It starts January 7th. Um, It's dropping... 17th. 17th, sorry. January 17th. Um, It's dropping in its entirety on Sundance Now. So um, we're excited because this is a fandom that is on fire like people fucking love uh, these books and love the series and so um it's going to be interesting because we're actually going at it from uh, the opposite perspective than we did the purge which is john is actually much more versed in discovery of witches than i am so um i oh <laughs> i'm excited i look i i love anything having to do with um, witches and the Brits and the battle of good and evil. And I promise- And
1: vampires. Who doesn't love vampires?
0: We'll work on the vampires for me.
1: <laughs> we'll we'll get there. Well, I mean, it's a Matthew Good vampire. It's not like a Edward Cullen, like yeah. I shine in the sunlight vampire.
0: Exactly. Um, so so stay tuned. We can't wait. Um, some other extra stuff may pop up between there, um, here and then, but for now, like- Like John said, we're actually each taking three weeks to finish our dissertations, y'all, which is bananas. Uh, Say a prayer, light a candle, uh, sacrifice Sacrifice something to the gods, uh, to the old gods and the new that John and I are able to finish our first drafts and turn them into our committees. We're really hoping to walk now. We
1: will we are walking and we right. are turning them in. So on January 17th, listeners, yeah. when you hear us, the first thing that we're going to talk about when we introduce you to season two is the fact that we've turned in our first drafts and we're walking in May. So we have a lot forthcoming. We're so glad you stuck around with us. Marcy, this was fun.
0: Y'all, it's been so wonderful. Like, honestly, and we appreciate that you're sticking around for a variety of content, uh, jumping from the purge to Harry Potter to the Hunger Games, now to Discovery of Witches, um, you know, we, we understand that this is, like, a vast kind of, like, variety of stuff, but we appreciate that you're here for the ride, so. The
1: happy Purge season two, man. I mean, I know.
0: Oh, yeah. We're super excited about season two. Happy holidays to everyone, regardless of what you celebrate. If you don't celebrate, happy week off work, maybe. Um, we happy are- eating happy eating. Um, we are so thankful for all of y'all. You guys were like doing this podcast was something we talked about for a while. And it's it's honestly, it's just kind of a little thing of love for us that helps us to remember that we first and foremost wanted to to be academics to, to teach and to talk shit through. And then when we realized the Academy is a joke, this has been a way to actually still do what we love. So we thank you.
1: Marcy, I'm thankful for you.
0: I'm thankful for you. Honestly, John, like, guys, I love this dude, even if he snores like a fucking train.
1: Okay, and the episode is now over. Over. (laughs) Happy Hunger Games.